You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on global business so you can invest better across the Pacific Rim. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. Another domino is falling in China's troubled housing market. Country Garden, once considered a gem among Chinese property builders, is on the knife's edge of default after missing a critical debt payment stirring a new crisis of confidence in the country's housing market and raising broader questions about its economy. Country Garden's tumble into distress closely resembles earlier carnage arrival Evergrande, which defaulted on its own debt in 2021, leaving some asking if other developers are far behind. What does this latest fiasco say about China's housing market? Why is it happening? What's at stake? Who's getting hurt? And how is it going to end? Let's bring in Christy Hung, Senior Equity Analyst with Bloomberg Intelligence. I think Country Garden's event tells us that most of China's private developers could be wiped out from the market. And Daniel Fan, Senior Credit Analyst. If Country Garden defaults, it will be probably mark kind of the end of uh, China property era since 2008. Both joining us here in Hong Kong, Christy, Dan, welcome. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Christy, we've had a number of Chinese developers, including Evergrande, collapse over the last two years. But why is the potential default of Country Garden different? So first of all, Country Garden has over 3,000 projects, you know, and that's already four times Evergrande's number of projects. So if there are issues with unfinished homes, it's just a bigger headache for local governments to deal with because there are just many more projects. And secondly, I think the nature of the two events are very different. When Evergrande went bust, the central bank can still call it an isolated event. It's because of its own poor management and reckless expansion. But for Country Garden, it's... It's designated as a high-quality developer still by the government in the late 2022. And, you know, it's granted access to onshore bond sales and bank credit lines, yet nine months later it's failing to repay a coupon payment. And for that to happen to a country garden is more detrimental to sentiment, I would say, because it tells you that something's fundamentally wrong in China's housing market and that's pushing even formerly healthy developers to the brink of default. From a fixed income perspective, I think Country Garden is important in the sense that it used to be a core holding for many, many fund managers. Um, I, I think at a point it was rated investment grade as well. I think in May last year. So that make it very detrimental if Country Garden goes wrong. That's more from a trading or positioning perspective. So this used to be rated investment grade, you're saying? Yes, okay. low investment grade. Okay, I hate to be one of those analysts right now. <laughs> but. but when you consider how quickly Country Garden went into distress, Christy, Dan, what does that tell you about the nature of, of their financial situation and China's broader housing market? The Country Garden's defense poses questions about the fundamental health of China's housing market. And we have always acknowledged that the housing market in China or property developers, they're over leveraged and there's an oversupply in the housing market in China and there's a lot of excess in the system. But that has gone unnoticed when there are a lot of investment demand scooping or absorbing those oversupply of properties. But when the party stopped in 2021, and the pricing come down. And when people stop investing, we realize that there is a big problem there. And it is not a cyclical problem that you can wait out for a few years for things to get better. But we realize that 
China is facing are structural problems and the housing market is going to change in the way that it operates for many years to come and it's going to be a painful process of adjustments. Daniel Fan, did it surprise you how quickly Country Garden fell into distress? Is that something you could have seen coming? I think yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that once they are not able to do the share placement at the end of July, which was a very strong signal about their ability to get refinancing or willingness. I that was the early signal that maybe something wasn't quite right. That was a, a confirming signal, kind of. I think Christie has made uh, some earlier call about the uh, negativity on the sector. So for Country Garden, because they did a rollover on the syndicated loan in July, so given hope that they are able to roll over, and then hopefully followed by a share placement, then I think they are able to kind of like muddle through for a couple, a uh, few more months before they make the call uh, to delay their coupon payment. Yeah, and for our side, I think the cannery in the coal mine is in early July when we know that contractor sales for Country Island was down 54% year over year in June. And I think some of the media has likened China developers to their business model to a Ponzi scheme which is, you know, because often developers need to bring in fresh new cells to generate cash in order to surface the construction costs of projects that were sold one to two years ago. And Country Garden has said before it need 28 to 30 billion yuan a month to ensure it has enough cash to complete pre-sold properties. Yet we keep on seeing sales falling, you know, 16 billion, 12 billion. And that's when we started making calls on, you know, we need to worry about its liquidity. But I think Everything is unfolding so quickly and suddenly. Timing-wise, our best guess was something that might happen late this year or early next year when it's convertible bond or dollar bond come due. So, Christy, you made an interesting observation. Are you suggesting that they need new sales to fund existing projects? Yeah, because I think it's the business model of Chinese developers. You know, they are looking at high turnover of their assets. So they would try to make money from contractor sales. And with that money, they would invest in new land parcels to just keep on boosting their land bank and their top line growth. But suddenly when sales slump, which is the case when Evergrande went bust and the whole industry, we had saw 30% slump in sales in 2022. The problem starts unfolding and we can see that, you know, they're running out of liquidity. A lot of their money is locked on a project level. And then we see, you know, developers failing to repay debt and it's just keep on spreading to more and more developers. And that wasn't just for Country Garden, was it, Christy Hong? That's true for most China property developers. This idea that as long as they have access to financing, whether it's debt or equity or for sales, they can keep kicking the ball down. They can keep perpetuating their business model. But once something goes wrong... Yes, that's very true. And I think, um, just to be clear, you know, since Evergrande's debacle... There are over 60 other developers that have extended or defaulted on their debts. So there aren't many privately owned developers that is still softened. And Country Garden is one of the biggest survivors until it's failing to repay its coupon payments. So back during the global financial crisis, the US and European government saved a lot of banks and companies deemed too big to fail. Do you think Country Garden is too big to fail? And will the Chinese authorities come to the rescue with a bailout plan? 
so to me, it's too big to fail. And because I've talked about how it's the largest developer by sales in the past six years, and a debt crisis is going to put completions of its 3,000 projects at risk. But that being said, we don't think Country Garden can count on a bailout by the government because since mid-2021, since Evergrande's debacle, the government has stopped short of rescuing the liquidity of individual developers. And Country Garden could be no exception, you know. The government's priority is to complete the pre-sold homes to ensure the livelihood of people, but not to prevent corporate defaults. And is there an underlying reason for that? Is the government just running out of finances or is it more that they're worried about moral hazard risk? I think um, both of your reasoning makes sense. And at the end, I think it does make sense if the government doesn't offer a bailout. Because if you look at the land bank of Country Garden, 80% of it is focused on China's smaller, low-tier cities where, you know, housing is now very hard to sell and there's very weak demand in those markets. So even if there is handout from the government, it is going to only offer temporary liquidity reprieve, but it's not going to change the longer-term fate that, you know, Country Garden's business model isn't working and it's due to a flawed strategic focus on low-tier cities and I think to the government standpoint, it might not make sense to throw good money after bad. You're listening to Asia Centric from Bloomberg Intelligence. By the way, if you like what you hear, and we hope you do, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you may be listening to us. Of course, more stars are better. Your feedback matters, and we love hearing from our listeners. You know, a lot of the damage may not come from the crisis itself at Country Garden, but in Chinese consumers' reaction to it, because it may fan the flames of doubt among home buyers. Many are going to be reluctant to purchase because they lack confidence that Country Garden can deliver. Are we at risk of a feedback loop here now that this has happened to a second major developer? Daniel Fan, any take on that? Yeah, I think this is a um, yeah, downward spinal. Just add to what Christy mentioned. I think refinancing is uh, one thing causing the trouble. It's a double whammy. Uh, weaker sales plus a lack of refinancing market. If you're a homeowner, first of all, you worry about delivery. And then second of all, you worry about mortgage. So definitely it will burn into consumption. I think another impact would be like engineering companies, uh, construction companies that deal directly with developers may also take the hit. Right. And I think there's, you know, with the slum in home sales, adding to what Dan just mentioned, there's also downstream industries that is going to be impacted. You know, look at renovation companies, white goods, furniture. And if there's falling home prices, you can expect there would be wealth effect on consumption. Consumers are now feeling poorer because home prices are declining and they're less likely to spend, especially on, say, discretionary items. And that in turn squeeze retail sales, hurt corporate earnings and Corporates might consider, you know, it has to cut headcounts. And then that spill over into, you know, there's a weaker employment outlook in the market. And people are not feeling safe about their income and about their job. So then they might not be able to commit to buying a property right now. So it's a negative loop, as Tom, you mentioned. And Chinese consumers are already feeling strapped. And this is coming against a backdrop of almost a cascade of problems. You've got deflation, you've got youth unemployment. So talk a little bit about how the impact in the housing market is dovetailing into all those other factors. China property is, say, 20-25% of China's GDP. That's a lot. 
It's mm. a pillar industry. So if it has a big problem like Country Gardens event that we're looking at right now, it's going to weigh on sentiment on the overall economy. So what can the authorities do? The Chinese government has always been able to pull some levers to restart the economy, to fan the animal spirits. What can they do to save the housing industry? I think for now, we are seeing the government is focused on demand-side policies, like easing home purchase restrictions in larger cities, lowering down payment ratios and cutting mortgage rates. But I think the reality is, you know, people are not buying property because mortgage rate is cheap. They were buying property because they expect home price to appreciate. That's until the party's over in 2021. You know, the household mindset about investing in property has changed already. And the government's mantra of housing is for living in, not for expectation, is becoming more and more ingrained in people's mindset. And I think what policy didn't do this round is to address the liquidity problem of any developer. So when buyers continue to see more developers are defaulting, that's a big damage to confidence. I think it's just very hard to just go with demand-side policies to just revive demand and not fix the corporate debt problems that's facing Chinese developers because the two go hand-in-hand together to bring up the health of the China's housing market. China just lowered its interest rate by 15 basis points to 2.5%. Look, I think this was the steepest cut in three years. Do you think this is going to have any impact at all? I think, as I said, I don't think it's going to move the needle in terms of housing market sentiment because people are not buying because mortgage rate is cheap. They are buying property because they expected home price to appreciate. And that was the case in 2016 to 2020 when prices were up 4 to 11% per year. And, you know, home price appreciation is just almost like a certainty to people. That's why there's so much investment going into property. And there's obviously overbuilding of housing in China. And when we see that there are downside to home prices since 2021, people stop investing. Those overbuilding of, you know, inventory, there's no demand coming in to absorb them. And that becomes a big problem. Christy Hong, Daniel Fan, we've seen Chinese regulators step in. There was a somewhat of a rescue package in November, and yet still you have a second major developer that's fallen into distress. How did we get here? I think on the uh, financing side, the government tried to help, but the structure itself has some issue. I think they did some like three arrows program. The second one is to guarantee onshore bonds issued by developers. But the problem is uh, developers need to pull up collaterals. As you know, a lot of these developers, they are over leveraged already. They don't have a lot of unpledged asset to post for collateral purpose. So that's the reason why um, the supportive program did not work out that well. Yeah, to back up Dan's point, say for example for Country Garden, it was able to issue state guarantee bond for about 3.5 billion yuan in 2022. And that compared to its sales slump, it's down 200 billion yuan. So you see the extreme comparison of how little bond is able to raise and how sales has been in a steep decline. That just shows you, even though the government vowed to support high-quality developers like Country Garden back in November during the rescue plan, policy support up to this point seems still far from sufficient. Daniel, if we can take a step back, Country Garden is still not in technical default. What are the next steps? Can they pull a rabbit out of the hat? 
I think, yeah, they still have like 30 day grace period. They're supposed to pay the coupon on August 6th. So meaning that like around September 6th, if they are able to come up with the money, then they are able to resolve this technical default. I'm still a little bit hopeful that they are able to come up with money or at least come up with some sweetener, like to ask for an extension of the coupon payment. So I think that will buy them some time to deal with a bigger problem. And Country Garden's demise has had a big impact on equity markets, but arguably it's had an even bigger impact on credit markets. How important is Country Garden to China's credit markets? And what's the lasting impact if it were to default? I think the impact has, in addition to the fact that it's a core holding for many fund managers, is uh, market share in the index is still not small. If I remember correctly, it had 8.8 billion of uh, US dollar bond in the China real estate index, which is around like 30 something billion, if I remember correctly. So the proportion is not small. And I think more importantly is we don't have other big developers left after Country Garden. We have a bunch of like niche developers and then we have some SOEs and a couple of investment grade developers. So if Country Garden defaults, it will be probably marked kind of the end of a China property era since like 2008, something like that. Wow, that's a pretty stark or rather bold take, I would say. Yeah. So if you imagine like uh, if Country Garden defaults, we are going back to pre-Country Garden era. Country Garden was listed in 2007. So we then if they default, basically we are back to 2006. At that time, there were like um, a handful of developers in the bond market. I think maybe I, I would like to ask Dan a question about the slow process of restructuring of bonds for the developers. I say Evergrande's debacle started in mid-2021, but now we're still nowhere in the process of concluding a restructuring plan. What is your take on that? I think there are a few reasons for that. One is um, to crystallize the total debt. I mean, for example, Evergrande, they announced their 2022 results not that long ago. So you need to have some kind of numbers to form at least the framework of the debt restructuring plan. I mean, ideally, you are able to do some kind of cash flow projection uh, to see how much sales you are able to generate, although that's a bit academic. If you talk about Evergrande's extension plan, the longest one is 12 years, so you're going to do a projection for 12 years, and I don't think it's uh, practical at the current environment. And other thing is, uh, given what you have mentioned, the outlook of the sector, and we are in a down cycle, some developer may just um, take the advantage of uh, observing uh, what's happening, what others are going to do. At the same time, they are kind of in the implicit standstill or some kind of like formal standstill, uh, meaning that they don't need to pay coupon and no one is going to sue them. There are some cases that uh, developers are being sued, but in most cases, they are able to get away. So that's another reason from a practical purpose. So all added together, we see a slow move in debt restructuring. Christy, Dan, what do you both see as far as contagion risk? It could ripple in any number of directions. You've got exposed bondholders, 
HSBC and BlackRock are both major bondholders. There's, of course, other developers, banks, other lenders, creditors, asset managers, property buyers and owners. What do we know about contagion risk? How bad could it be? Who's most at risk? Tell us what you're thinking. I think within the developer's space, after Country Garden, um, buyers are going to question, you know, can I trust in any private developers in China and their pre-sold projects? And therefore, you know, for the small amount of developers that are still left standing, the sales are going to suffer. And so as the liquidity, and we do expect a second wave of liquidity crisis, and that could wipe out most major players in the private sector in the China property space. It becomes a toxic feedback loop, doesn't it? Yes, and if you look at developers like Agile, CSEN, they have even weaker cash coverage of short-term debt than Country Garden as of end 2022, and they're similarly focused on China's low-tier city. So their liquidity would be something that we'll be watching in the next six months. I was going to mention Warren Buffett is famous for saying there's never just one cockroach in the kitchen. We've already seen many developers, not just Country Garden or Evergrande, tumble into distress, but... It's not a stretch to think others are at risk, as you just mentioned. I think, yeah, the next wave for second order impact depends on the situation. It may hit to the banking sector in another wave, given the bank's exposure to developers and also like potential delay in mortgage installments on shore. Yeah, Daniel, that's an interesting point. Over the weekend, there was news that a major Chinese trust company missed a payment sparking concerns posed by wealth products issued by, I guess, the shadow banking sector, if you'd like to call it. Is there any relationship between these wealth products and developers? So property developers have been big issuers of trusts loans, and that is one of the major funding channels too, in addition to onshore, offshore bonds, as well as bank lending. So as Dan mentioned, you know, a big chunk of private developer issuers, they have either extended or defaulted on the debts. The issues with the delinquency of these trust products are going to continue to emerge, and we might continue to see more headlines hitting the market. Christy, Dan, paint the picture for us. How do you both see this drama unraveling? It's not going to stop with Country Garden, Christy, you just suggested. Do regulators intervene? Do bankers intervene? What's the end game? What do you see three, six months down the road? Right, I think Country Garden's event tells us that most of China's private developers could be wiped out from the market. And the scary thing is private developers in China accounted for about 65% of home sales in 2021. And if most of them cannot survive, you can expect the supply pipeline that is going to come for China. And I think in the near to medium term, you will see a property sector that's predominated by just mostly state-owned developers. And for private developers, their market presence will continue to languish. And I think for housing as a commodity, it's going to become more and more boring. You know, housing in China that had generated so much investment appeal during 2016 to 2020. 
And for the trends in terms of new home sales, you can see from the example that the U.S. took around 17 years to make it back to pre-crisis level in 2005. And it was like a V-shaped recovery that happened over 17 years. But for China, we think that new home sales likely would never make it back to pre-crisis level. It's going wow. to be an L-shaped. And the size of new home sales already shrunk 30% in 2022. And I think I'll just continue to see protracted contraction from here. That's a pretty downbeat assessment. Daniel Fan, is there any upside? Um, for fixed income market, I think it's a little bit difficult to see upside because of the shrinking of the market, especially in the high yield area. So fund managers, basically, they may head for two directions. One is fight for quality, so meaning that they will do more investment grade bond. And also, they will diversify away from China. Okay, so if property markets are doing poorly, equity markets are not doing much better, and the same with credit markets, then where do investors put their money in China? I think it's a little bit difficult to justify the call on China. There are already some fund managers looking at Japan and Australia, so make a Asia, like a bigger Asia. Usually in the past, we talk about Asia, it's always Asia, it's Japan, and we don't usually include Australia into the picture. But now it seems the situation is changing. We have a bigger Asia. Yeah, and I think Shani Wong, our analyst covering brokerages, and Stephen covering insurance, they have been harping on how we have been seeing more southbound flow going into insurance product in Hong Kong because it offers higher yield, you know, related to the yields in the US. And we are also seeing more investment into mutual fund products in China. Christy, Daniel, let's say I'm sitting in the U.S., I'm listening to this podcast, and I'm thinking, well, this is interesting, but this crisis is happening in China. It's far away. But it goes beyond that, doesn't it? The impact is real, and the impact goes beyond China's borders. Talk a little bit about that. I think for U.S. investors, um, the impact is there, especially for Country Garden, because at one point it was investment grade. So there's some U.S. investor, they use country garden as a proxy to invest in China. So in this scenario, they may need to rethink what they need to do in Asia, including China. China is a big portion, especially in the fixed market for Asia. Yeah, and a lot of institutional investors are evaluating the case of investing in China. We've been hearing how foreign investors are talking about Chinese physical properties as something that they wouldn't touch because of just a dire outlook in the market and how it's very hard to liquidate those assets. And both of you have spent countless hours following this drama, researching the financial distress among the developers as it unfolds. Are there any lessons looking back that have come across your mind that we can draw from China's housing crisis? I was just having a conversation with Dan the other day, and we mentioned how we have been reflecting on the policy actions in China in the past eight to 10 years. And remember how China opened up onshore bond issuance to developer in 2015. And that is followed by five years of housing boom. And because developers, they have such ease in raising funding, whether it's from the onshore bond market or from the offshore bond market, because Dan was talking about how yield was close to zero for um, 
safe or risk-free securities, whereas for country garden or other developers, the yields are just so appealing and that attracted a lot of offshore funding for developers too. And with those money, developers, they went onshore to buy a lot of land, they speculated on land, land prices jumped and therefore home prices jumped. And when investors saw that home prices jumped, more are piling in to invest in property and that caused the housing boom in the past five years. And then there came the three red lines rule in 2019 that basically popped the bubble for Evergrande and uh, most of the other private developers that followed. And I think the course of events that is unfolding before us, I would still say that um, majority of it could be a result of policy actions so we need to reflect on how policies could come sometimes too late to too late to bring back the balance in the market. I feel like we should end this podcast on a positive note. Is there any silver lining to this story? Anyone? I think if we take policy aside, if we look at it as a kind of like cynical downturn, purely from a financial market perspective, it's not that unpredictable because if you look at the funding situation, the bond issuance hit a peak in 2019. So in high yield market, the maturity is like three to five years. So it's pointing to probably 2022 and 2024 kind of range for maturities. So that is uh, written down like a few years ago. Uh, and other thing is, uh, as Christy mentioned, the fundamentals, oversupply versus demand. I think ever since 2017, when the onshore bond market opened, a lot of developers, they're talking about they're going to grow their top line three times. So meaning that supply is coming. But at the same time, demand on the other side is like on the slow side, given if you look at the GDP growth in China. So that's kind of like mismatch. So now we can draw some kind of conclusion. We are very close to a bottom okay. from a cynical perspective. If there's like a, a turnaround in the macro economy, uh, hopeful that we could see a bull market likely in 2026 to 2027. A little bit of a wait, but our fingers are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think in the longer term, we are still positive about housing market in tier one cities or stronger tier two cities like Shenzhen, Hangzhou, and we have been visiting projects, we've been seeing correction in prices in even those larger cities. So I think if you are an investor in the physical market, it's not a bad entry point to consider in the coming one to two years as prices bottom. We've been talking China's property crisis with Christy Hong and Daniel Fan, both senior analysts with Bloomberg Intelligence. Christy, Daniel, it's been a compelling story, and your expertise and your insights have really gone a long way toward helping us unspool this and better understand it. And we look forward to following your research and to hearing more from you as it unfolds. Thank you, Tom. Great pleasure to be here. I'm Tom Corbett in Hong Kong. And I'm John Lee. This podcast was edited by Clara Chen, and you've been listening to the Asia Centric Podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.